Have you ever driven through a roundabout? Like, <laughs> like not like the dinky Austin ones that are just like confusingly put into random neighborhoods where you're driving along. It's like, oh, I guess I'll go in a circle. Um, but like a serious like Paris or London three-lane roundabout where cars are going like 50 miles an hour and you're like, I don't know where, there's like eight exits. And you're just, you're just like stunned. Like, the people behind you are like, why are you stopping? There's no stop sign. You gotta keep going. And so going in circles and going in circles. And the, the surprising thing in visiting a lot of different countries is there's roundabouts everywhere. There's not these stop signs. There's not this stop that you just stop and wait and figure out and get a go or like that. It's just, it's a roundabout after roundabout after roundabout, over and over and over again. And in France, where I've, I've driven the most, um, we, think, we think Texas has a lot of small towns. But, you know, Texas has a lot of small towns, but they're like 10 miles apart. In, in France, there's towns that are half a mile apart, but they're very different. <laughs> and they go back like 600 years to like, someone, someone like stole a, a cow 600 years ago, and they haven't forgotten it at all. And they're like, oh, we are not like them over there, a half mile away. I know it may take 10 minutes to walk there, but that is a completely different place. But the, the roundabouts, each, so, so imagine a roundabout, each roundabout, there's like eight exits. Each exit has like eight signs of different villages further away. And some will be like, oh, you know, it's like Marseille is this way. And then there's like seven other towns you've never heard of and would have no reason to get to, but it's on the sign. And so you have to, have to pay attention every time. And when I first went there, when I was first driving around, we went on our, um, on our honeymoon to France and I'd never been there before and just driving around, just so, so nervous of getting lost and, and driving around. But eventually I was like, okay, just focus, Wilson, focus on where you're going. Because every, every roundabout will have where you're going. It's like, okay, we're going, we're going to Marseille. I just got to look for Marseille. And if I have to drive around the circle three times to make sure I get the right exit, I'm going to get there. I just, have to, I just have to be patient. And if I can follow the sign, if I can follow the sign, I'm going to get there. My friends, we are starting a new series for this season of Advent called The Art of Waiting. Waiting usually isn't seen as an art form. <laughs> But, you know, but I think the important thing is nobody is born as a really good waiter. <laughs> Kids are not very good at waiting. <laughs> Have you ever been around a child? They're, when they're hungry, it's not like, oh, I will be patient and let the bottle come to me. <laughs> no, that is, that is not how it works. It's like, or it's like, oh, I am tired. I will just go to sleep now instead of yelling that I'm tired for three hours. No, but like, and so that is... Adults have the same thing. We, we, we express our exhaustion in different, also not helpful ways. Um, but it's still, like, nobody is born a good waiter for things. Just like nobody is born an amazing painter. And nobody is born an amazing pianist. Now, some people can have gifts in that direction, that if they're, they're put in that direction, are able to practice, they can, those gifts can flourish, and they may become a great pianist. But it's not like... You're born this way, and like, boom, you're gonna, it's going to happen. It's an art form. There's habits involved. There's practices involved. My mother-in-law, Amri Adani, was an amazing art artist. Her, uh, one of her works is in the narthex of, of Jerusalem. And one of the things I remember most about her is she would draw constantly. Um, every time I met with her, every time she, she came to visit or we went to Longview, um, 
she would be, have a sketch pad in front of her. And she would be drawing birds, or she'd be drawing cactuses. Sometimes she'd be working, she'd draw some sketches for a, a greater piece, an oil she was going to be working on. And sometimes it would have nothing to do with it. And she wasn't practicing because she wanted to become a good artist. She was already a great artist. That wasn't the point. It was maintaining the habit, maintaining the practices, doing the things necessary to be an artist, doing the things necessary to, to practice an art. We don't often think of waiting as an art, as a habit or a practice, but I think that is what God shows us in the season of Advent. In the season of Advent, we can live into a life of patience, a life of hope when we practice the art of waiting. But the important question is, what are we waiting for? (laughs) What are we waiting for? Now, I don't know about you, but I like to get to meetings early. I, I can't do it all the time, but I like it. And I don't like the, the guilt of someone waiting on me. As a, as a Methodist elder, when I had to go before my bishop to be ordained, I was asked a question, will you always be punctual? <laughs> really? And so if you ever meet any Methodist pastor, they had to answer this question. Some of them forget it. Like there's another question of like, are you in debt so as to de- be detrimental to your ministry? They have to answer that question. They also have to, you know, but they have to say, will you be punctual? Will you never tarry? But the punctual one, I think about a lot. That I made a promise before God and my bishop to be on time. <laughs> so I'm not always on time, but I think about, at least when I'm not on time, I'm like, gosh, I wish I was on time. <laughs> it's not very helpful when people are waiting. It's like, oh, I felt bad about it. That makes it better. No, but... But when I get there, you know, if, I, if I'm punctual, as I try to be, and I get, get to, a, maybe I have a lunch engagement with someone, and they're not present. And so think about this. Think, I want you all to have this imagining in your head, that you're meeting someone for lunch, and they're not showing up. What are the signs you look for to see that they're still coming? Now, cell phones have changed this a little bit, but it's still, you know, you wait five minutes, you wait ten minutes. Maybe you, you know this person from long, from, for a long time, and, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's Jeff, he, he's always late. And so... <laughs> You don't worry about it. But, you know, what are the signs you look for to stay? What are the signs you look for to remind you that you should, that someone is still coming to meet you? It's great with cell phones, though, is, you know, you get a, a, tra- a text that says, like, oh, there's terrible traffic, which is all the time in Austin. And so you know, it's, you're never surprised by that. And it's like, terrible traffic, I'll be there in 10 minutes. And it's, okay, that's, that's good. But it's still, like, that's a, that's a sign. That's a sign that you should wait there. That's a sign that someone is going to follow through with you. What are the signs when you're driving around in a strange place? It doesn't have to be Europe. It can be East Texas. But you're driving around in a strange place, and you know you've gone the wrong way. What is the sign you're looking for? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. I thought it was going to be a rhetorical question, but I love the activity. This is fantastic. <laughs> you know, now, uh, now most people have maps on their phones, but there's a lot of, there are places in East Texas where the map doesn't work. Uh, and you turn around and you run into a lake, and then you turn around and you run into the same lake, and you're like, how did I run into a lake in every direction? Like, how did I get into this island? I did not remember getting in an island. <laughs> East Texas is great. I just don't, I don't, I don't mean to be bad to them. <laughs> what are the signs that you know you've made a wrong turn? Now to get a little more real, what are the signs in your life that you know you've made a wrong turn? 
What are the signs in a relationship that you know you've made a wrong turn? It's not always easy. It's not always a one way coming at you. What are the signs that maybe you're in the bad place and not the good place? (laughs) It's a very inside joke. Anton Chekhov, the great Russian playwright, once said that if you, if you show a gun in Act 1, it needs to be fired by Act 5. <laughs> Some signs seem insignificant at first, and it really was. In the play, it's a gun on the mantelpiece. It's just an insignificant thing. But at the end, it, has, it causes something greater to happen. A lot of signs in our life seem insignificant at first. But they pack a really big punch. In Jeremiah 33, the first reading for today, there are eight oracles. We only read one of them, but there are eight oracles in the whole chapter. Oracles are signs. There are, there are signs of a healed city, a healed people, of a return of joyful sounds, of a great mystery, of a righteous king, of a return to the pasture land, of the Davidic and Levitical kingdoms continuing, of a covenant with David to continue, of the seal of Jacob to continue. It's sign after sign after sign. There are a lot of signs. Signs will take place that will let us know, that will let the people of Israel know that they're going in the right direction, that God is faithful with them, that God is with them. Throughout the Old Testament, God uses these signs. God uses the pillar of fire with the people in the desert after the exodus. God uses manna and quail throughout the wilderness. God uses the giving of the law on Mount Sinai as a sign. The people try to make an alternative sign, and that's what I think the golden calf is. It's the people trying to make an alternative sign for them to feel better about God being with them. But we can't make a sign of God's presence. We need to receive it. We need to receive it. Sometimes when we are waiting for something, we can twist reality in our head. Sometimes when we are looking for a sign, we twist it to make it seem like what we want to hear instead of what reality really is. But God gives signs, not just in Jeremiah 33, but in Jeremiah, in this passage we read, it's overflowing with signs of God's promise to the Hebrew people, of God's promise of faithfulness. We see Jesus making promises to his disciples in the Luke 21 passage. We see Jesus saying, as my phone loads up, there we go. At that time, those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those in the city must escape. And those in the countryside must not enter the city. There are, there are, these are the days of punishment when everything written will find its fulfillment. How terrible it will be at that time. How terrible it will be at that time. These are days of vengeance. There will be signs. The signs may not be what we are looking for. There are going to be signs of the total redemption of everything. Jesus goes on in this passage. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth. Distress among nations confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint with fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. There will be signs. There will be signs as total redemption draws near. My friends, 
there's a twin meaning to Advent. Advent literally means in Latin to come. And so Advent is a time of anticipation for the coming of the Christ child. It's a wonderful time of this, of, of imagining the infant, the baby Jesus, of imagining Mary and Joseph. We have our nativity, we have our angel, we have our beautiful sheep, ah, and our, our donkey, and our cow, and the, and the wise men, and the shepherds are somewhere. Is that a shepherd? There's a shepherd. Okay, we have shepherds, uh, you know, we have Advent wreaths, we have chrismon trees, we have garlands everywhere. It's a wonderful time of, of, of thinking about the simplicity, the innocence of faith, the innocence of a child of anticipation of God coming in the flesh. But Advent is also a time of anticipation for the return of Christ in glory and the total redemption of all things, of all being made well. As Julian of Norwich said, and all will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. But there are signs before that. And the broken ones in power are not going to want to let go of their power. Caesar does not want to just let go of his power. He doesn't like talk to Jesus and be like, that is a very good point, Jesus. I'm going to take off my crown. Here you go. Herod does not want to let go of his power. He likes the power. The people in power like power. It makes them feel like they matter. They get to do what they want. They're not going to let go so easily. The wicked do not want to let go of their power. It must be taken from them. And there are signs of this. So Jesus is teaching these signs to his disciples, the disciples who think that everything is going to be great. They've already found Jesus. They found the Messiah. It's going to be this one nice continuity. Everything is going to be nice and perfect and easy. There are going to be signs, though, Jesus says. And he gets real with them. In a different part of Jeremiah, the prophet talks about the potter and the clay and how the clay pots have to be cracked and smashed to be remade. There's going to be a lot of shaking going on. You know, it's not easy to move from brokenness to wholeness. But there will be signs. And the amazing thing is all creation is already crying out for this. Creation groans and longs to be healed. Our world groans and longs to be healed. When we turn on the news, when we hear stories, when we hear about the brokenness in this world, our response, the Christian response, is not just that, like, oh, that's too bad, or oh, what a shame. It's like, oh, that is another sign of a world in need of redemption. Another sign, oh, Lord Jesus, come and save this world. What Jesus teaches over and over again, and what we have the opportunity in this Advent season to do is to practice the art of waiting. Not waiting as a passive thing of indifference, but waiting as a habit, waiting as a practice, waiting of remembering we need a Savior. Of remembering that Christ's redemption is not complete. Of remembering to look for signs of God's love of remembering that when we ourselves are frustrating and doubting or confounded by the circumstances of this world or confounded by the circumstances in our own life to look for signs about which way we are going. The sign of Christmas is a newborn baby. The infant Jesus is the ultimate Chekhov's gun. Remember that? If you show, if you show, show a gun in the first second, it's going to explode in the, in the fifth. The baby Jesus is the ultimate Chekhov's gun. A child is completely and utterly dependent upon its caregivers. 
The sign of God's total redemption is this creature of total and utter dependence. There are two babies here right now who are utterly dependent (laughs) on the people who are caring for and holding them right now. The God who created everything, the God of all creation became human, not just as a human, as a a stable adult able to, to work for themselves, but as a dependent child. And this is a sign for us. This is a sign that all shall be made well. Because no matter where we are in our life, no matter where we are in our circumstances, no matter how long we've been going the wrong way, no matter how many signs we have missed, God is still with us. God is still with us. There is no level of dependency or need with which God does not understand. We have, sign, we have seen the signs of God's love. God is coming to turn this world upside down, this world in need of being turned upside down, and we have been shown the promise of God. We wait because we can point to God's faithfulness in our own lives. Or we can point to God's faithfulness of the lives of others whom we have loved. We wait because we have felt love and mercy. We practice the art of waiting to show others that there is a life worth waiting for. There is a love worth waiting for. We practice the art of waiting through the means of grace. Through what John Wesley what John Wesley called the means of grace, the works of piety and the works of mercy, of doing the things of God that we know that God works in many, many ways, but God works in these ways. We practice the art of waiting by worshiping together. We practice the art of waiting by praying together, by reading the scriptures. We practice the art of waiting by feeding the hungry, by clothing the naked, by visiting widows and orphans, by visiting those imprisoned. We do these things because we know that God is coming to save us and God doesn't want to make us a savior, but to be the people who point to the savior. A people who know who we are waiting for. So this day, may you go from this place, may you go into this week, into this new Christian year, as a people who know what you are waiting for, that you are loved, that you are forgiven, and that you have something to share about the art of waiting. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.